Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now this week, Matt is still on holiday. But I'm not alone, as we are joined by Paul Woodage from World War II TV. We love his work here at FOF HQ. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to his channel because you're missing out on some fantastic World War II videos. Uh, Woody, welcome back to the show. Yeah, and since the last time, we've met in person now. We, I know. We know each other actually have legs. It's so cool. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, we were. We met at We Have Ways Fest. This week, we're going for something a little bit different. So Woody, in his day-to-day, is a bit of a tour guide, historian, He's got many feathers in his paperboy cap. But today we're going to be looking at representations of Normandy in films. So if you've listened to the Peer episode, if you've listened to the Vickers Gun episode with Rich Fisher, you'll know the sort of thing we're going to be doing. Um, but before we delve in to the, some cinematic uh, interpretations of what Eisenhower described as the Great Crusade, I want to ask you this, Woody, to lead us in. What does Normandy mean to you? Uh, well, it's my home now, but it's also my life. I mean, obviously I live here, but it's... It's central to everything. It's my home. It's where my friends live. It's my living. It's my, it's my, um, my family in a way. Because I'm now trying to still determine the truth about things. Still trying to uncover things. Still voraciously reading to, to try and understand it. It's it. You think you know it, but you never do. Mm. It's all encompassing, isn't it? Sort of it gets into every seam and every cranny of your life. It seems. So I think maybe we should start with. It's not the earliest depiction of D-Day on film, but it's uh, it's certainly up there. So I think we should start with Screaming Eagles from 1956. This is one you put me on to when we planned this episode. It's an interesting one. Yeah, because on, on the one level, it gets so much really um, 
does it well. I mean, the uniforms mm. are good. They're, they're, they're talking about real places. There, there's a bit when, just like in Band of Brothers, they're under a poncho looking at it with a compass, and it's the real map showing Normandy and Carenton and the railway line, the Douvre River, and their D Company 502nd. They've got the hearts on, and the helmet ticks on their helmets. The, the, the uniforms are pretty good, but the plot is a bit lacking. It's ropey, isn't it? it? It's a shame because once they hit the ground in Normandy, the, I don't think they knew what to do. <laughs> it sort of gets a little bit, as you said to me on Messenger, you said it's like a cowboy movie when they get on the ground. Yeah, exactly. It could it, the, the plot could be guys in the French Foreign Leagues in the 1920s. It could yeah. be, uh, you know, people moving across the, the American West, going yeah. to Homestead. It's kind of just a plot of, um, you know, uh, uh, an anti-hero who's a bit unlikable, yeah. uh, small group of people, adversity, peril, uh, who, you know, mm. local person get involved in, and then they save the day and they end up where they're going to. It's the journey movie, isn't it? In, it is in a some bit. ways. It doesn't sound too good because it's not. No, it's not. I mean, it's it's passable 50s sort of matinee fair. If you watch this as a double bill, you I don't think you'd be disappointed. It's, you know, it's got all the tropes of like those 50s war movies that the American war movies anyway. I'm not sure if the British ones do it as heavily, but you've got your token female character for the, the men to come in and save. You've got a, a quite a, a decent-ish shootout every now and then just to keep your, your appetite wet. But in terms of saying anything deep about what's happening, it's not really that sort of movie. They're, it's very much like a popcorn flick of its day, I think. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I mean, all the actors, I mean, we could list them, but no one's heard Tom Tryon, Robert Blake, yeah, yeah. they're all TV show actors. And I think it's like, it's like a 30 minute TV show. They've tried to pad out to an hour and 20 minutes. It could, it could be an episode um, of combat. It really could. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it it has inspired things further on. There are definitely some scenes in there and their movement through Normandy that, you kind of think, did some of the Band of Brothers screenwriters see some of that? Because, yeah. I don't know, it, 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 they must have looked at all the source material there was of how has the 101st Airborne been portrayed on screen and it's easy to find online. And I, and I wonder whether they just took a few things from it, a few nods mm. here and there, but ultimately it's, it's not really no. fun to kind of seek out on restored blu-ray really i mean it's not i wouldn't you know you know i wouldn't go all in if if you're an absolute aficionado and you have to devour everything screaming eagles everything 101st airborne i would i wouldn't not recommend it i i we've said on the show it would suit our show and tell um format because we don't we wouldn't really want to dedicate a whole hour to it because i'm not sure you'd get that out of it but you definitely get like a little like what we're doing now but yeah so moving on so obviously i mean (laughs) we couldn't do a show on Normandy and not mention the longest day from 1962 because I think some people would be very ticked off if we didn't. Yeah, well, you said it yourself. You quoted me in a messenger. I'm quoting you in messenger, and I think you summed it up completely. The looking forward to watching it is yeah. better than actually watching it. You kind of think, oh, I'll watch the longest day, and then you watch it, and the the bits that are good get further apart the more times you watch it and it you get the kind way. of that yeah okay this go you really forget how long some of the in-between scenes go on and you go mm-hmm. yeah there's a good bit coming but when are we going to get to the good bit it does feel that way it's like the longest film in some cases but it's yeah. this grand epic i mean you can't knock it for what it's trying to do in, in 1962 you're pulling all these big stars i mean it's like the avengers ensemble of its day you, you know john wayne kenneth moore 
Richard Burton, Richard Todd, all these you know powerhouses of the time. But then I feel like you miss because of all these people they're cramming in. They have to give loads of screen time to everyone every five yeah. ten minutes. It jumps around a lot. There's some plot lines you could just rip out of there and it would become a much tighter film. But then there are these beautifully orchestrated set pieces within there. Like the Omaha Beach scene, I watched I, I watched these scenes back to back today when I was preparing for this show. And I watched the same Private Ryan scene, um, the first 10 minutes. And then I watched the Omaha Beach scene in this, in August Day. And I thought, actually, there's a lot of mirroring here. There's a lot of the sequences yeah. where the landing craft are coming in. Dude, that's pretty much shot for shot at the start. I mean, as I know there's only so many ways you can shoot landing craft coming into a into a, a beachhead, and and they're obviously going off of stock footage as well. But there's a lot of um, overlap there, and there's such a grand scene of all these men coming off the beach. You know, it's all extras. There's no trickery, I don't think, anywhere. And then for me, I don't know how you feel. I hope you feel the same way. But the French commander assault on Weistrom is just one of the best tracking shots in yeah. cinema. It has to be. It's yeah. just yeah, yeah. It, it's better when it goes wide. When it goes big, it's when it when it takes yeah. the camera away from doing close-ups of the hey, we've got Richard Burton, let's use Richard Burton. Hey, we've got Robert Mitchum, Kurt Jurgens, whatever it be. It's a much better movie for it. And the memorable scenes to me are the ones where you're watching uh, all the extras more than you're watching the stars because they True. go wide. And yeah, that so the commando attacks some of the bits in Omaha Beach, the landing of the gliders at Pegasus Bridge. I think is an amazing sequence. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, f- for all its little bits of obvious models here and there, it's thrilling. The glider's landing is done really well. But I think that's my thing. You know, you asked me about the fact I live in Normandy. I, I don't see when you go from beach to beach to, to locale to locale, you really get a sense of where you are. There's no sense that, hey, Utah Beach has floods behind it, Omaha Beach has the bluffs, Sword mm. has houses, Juno has it. It's just beaches and they spend too much time sort of zooming in on the stars, reminding you, hey, it's Henry Fonda. We've, we've paid yeah. for Henry Fonda, folks. Let's have Henry Fonda walk up the, the beach. And I know, obviously, that's also connected with the fact they probably haven't got the extras for all the shots. So they have they have to bring it in tight for when mm. the extras are not there. But I feel you don't get any sense of the varying geography of the landing beaches. Um, and it's mm. because it was filmed all over the place, filmed in Ile de Ray down in, in kind of uh, uh, beyond Brittany and bits in Normandy, bits in the studio, bits here, there, bits. And it, it, does, it doesn't feel very Normandy, except for the scenes when it does suddenly feel very Normandy, like Santa Mary Glees, when it obviously was filmed on location, when it does feel Normandy. So it's, it is... It's very much a mixed bag. And I think I'm with you. If they re-edited it into a, mm. into a tight 90 minutes or yeah. you know, added some new scenes, it could be really good. But a lot of it is just a bit... Yeah, you know. it, it can. It can great. Not great, that's the wrong word, but it can just feel a bit laborious. It feels like it's just edging along, as you mean, to the next big start. It's like, oh, we've forgotten we've got John Wayne. Quick, go back to see him. You know, don't forget we've got these people. It does feel that way. But then I think for representing the the campaign on screen, obviously it's really important. It's one people always you know put a pin in when you're talking about D-Day on film. But then you've got things that don't have any other real cinematic representation. Operation Coup de Main, where the Pegasus Bridge is taken, that's the only time as of to date of recording that someone's tried to replicate that on screen. So there's a lot of things in there that are important. And who doesn't like watching Richard Todd? Um, and that story of him yeah. obviously being there as well. It's, it's lovely. It's got these lovely connections. But 
as a movie on the whole. I mean, maybe we'll save it for when we actually do a, a full depict, a full review of it. Yeah, <laughs> something, something. Yeah, just, it, you something. said it. I mean. I mean, Bridge Too Far, for example, it only when you think about it, only breaks down like six or seven different groups of characters. Mm. Longest Day is like it's trying to juggle 20, 30 different locations and actors. And the fact that it does manage to keep you going, you don't really get lost. I think, I mean, mm. obviously, I've, it's been a long time since I watched it the first time. And I, would, well, I, I, I can't kind of replicate that first viewing. But I never feel I'm kind of, so where is it? Where are we now? Who are we on now? It manages to keep all those plates spinning quite well. Um given it's doing the German side, the French side, the British side, famously not doing the Canadian side at all, <laughs> and the American side. But it does keep all those plates spinning. But at the end of the day, I think it's it's showing its age now. It is, what, it's 60 years old now. It's in an anniversary so, year, I think, actually, too. So It must be 60, because I'm, if I'm born in 60, yeah, 60 years, yeah. 60 years this year. Yeah, wow. So um, it's showing its age. Um, a little bit. But it's a classic as well. It, and there's yeah. a lot to go, oh. And it's, you know, they, the scenes seem a bit a bit sort of cliched now, but maybe it's the film that started some of the cliches. Um, Could be. And some of, the, some of the tropes we now know, the kind of comedy character, serious character. I do feel, I've always felt that as a Brit, that the Brits are kind of in it for comedy value a bit, whereas the Americans are the earnest ones doing the actual fighting and dying. Mm. And, 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 you know, Kenneth Moore is showing to be more of a comical character. Sean Connery is more of a comedy character. Michael Medwin, they're all, Raymond Wattis, they're all there to kind of get a laugh. Whereas it does seem yeah. to me, Henry Fonda's not trying to get a laugh. John Wayne's not in there to do a, to do a lot, one line and then move on. They're the ones about you get those bodies cut down kind of stuff. So mm. I think the British director, Ken Anakin, was it didn't get as much of a voice as the american no. directors in the kind of the edit and the cut but anyway we could and it's based off a, about an american book isn't it as well so that's another yeah, issue yeah, true on the balance it's good but yeah yeah it's good but it's also bad i mean that that's yeah, subjective exactly. isn't it yeah. i'm sure there's people who are going to hold it up as some oracle but you know that's movies for you so moving on well, i think we seem to be going in a little bit of chronological order so um, the next movie we've we've chosen, and this is a bit of a departure. Now, this one is a little bit more of a what if type scenario, but it's no less important within the way we sort of maybe represent it on screen. So, thirty six hours from nineteen sixty four, two years after Longest Day, um, and this one. I mean, Woody, do you want to talk us through this one? I've always loved it, and it's James Garner, Eve Marie Saint, and it's it's right. It's a what if about an officer who is a bigot. He has the he is bigoted. He has the plans of the Overlord invasion, and he's in Lisbon. He gets captured by the Germans, and they want to find out from him where the invasion is coming. And then beyond that, it's a fictitious story. But what I love about it is a James Garner is always just so watchable and so good and so likable and convincing and brilliant. But also, think of when it was made, mid-60s, Germans in war films up to then were either just nincompoops. Think of Colditz, the, the guards in Colditz, or they are fanatical SS, mm -hmm. evil, murdery type people. The, the the main character in 36 Hours, the German, played by Rod Taylor, the always underrated Rod Taylor, yeah. Australian actor, who is, for my money, one of the most underrated, underappreciated leading men of the 60s, is an intelligent German. And I think 
we're used now within Glorious Bastards, which of course Rod Taylor was in as Churchill, to yeah. have very intelligent German characters on screen. But I think in the 60s, they were there. Think of Screaming Eagles, we just reviewed mm. a minute ago. The Germans in that are basically faceless, running about in mixed up uniforms, yeah. First World War helmets, apart from the one German who's in the homestead, who's kind of a character, but he's not very fleshed out. In mm. 36 Hours, Rod Taylor's character and the other one, Werner, Werner Peters, the bad German, They've got depth. They've got real yeah. um, um, character development, which is such an unlikely mm. thing when you consider, you know, we, we were talking about watching Sea of Sand, uh, Steel Bay, and it was on recently. The, the Germans in those kind of movies, the British movies, they're just, they're, they're like stormtroopers in Star Wars, yeah. aren't they? They're, they're like to be Indians and Westerns. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, it's so what did you way. think of 36 Hours? Because, you know. I thought it was fantastic. I, I'd, I'd not watched it properly um before we did this show and i watched it a couple of nights ago and it was fabulous i mean james garner is is fabulous in whatever he's yeah. in but rod taylor's i mean it's expert casting i mean they bounce off each other so well you, you know and they set up rod taylor's character you sort of like him at the end because he yeah you know he, he knows he's done garner wrong and garner sort of knows he's trying to help him as this nice little uneasy friendship that's um cast up there but it's it's a really, as you say, it's a really interesting um, portrayal of, of German officers uh, or, or just Germans in, in war movie cinema at the time because, you know, they have feelings, they have dreams that they, the, you know, the, even the way that when Taylor's talking about the Reich and the, uh, the the evil Nazi doctor is posing as a man called Otto Schultz in the room, and he's like, oh yeah, and when we when we lost the war, the German populace rised up and they killed all the officers. And it was like amazing. And he's saying it to get a rise out of Schultz because he yeah. knows he's the fanatical Nazi in the room. Yeah. And Rob Taylor's not really, he's just trying to do a job, but it is this really, the, I think after they learn spoilers, but after they learn about the plot, where, sorry, where the landings are going to happen in Normandy. After that happens, I feel the plot sort of tails off a little bit and they don't know where to go. So it becomes yeah. a sort of escape movie. The, the last 20 minutes takes the shine off what had been a brilliant movie up to them, Agreed. but they have to conclude it somehow. Mm. Um, but for me, as that, as you know, you brought me on as the guy who lives in Normandy, who is the supposed historian thing is <laughs> that when you're portraying the invasion of Normandy, what you've got to get across is that actually part of that victory, maybe nearly all of that victory because of the achieving of complete tactical surprise on the yes. morning of June the 6th. And that's what 36 hours does. It shows you the vulnerability of the fact that if any point up to D-Day, the Germans had found out where the invasion was going to go like a week before, not the morning, in the morning of D-Day it's too late, but a week earlier, for example, and they can start moving tank divisions about, moving air, air, air units about, squadrons. It can, it's, it's a potential game changer. And I think that's yeah. why, although it doesn't depict the Normandy landings at all it just mentions them obliquely because the germans are trying to find out where they're coming it gets across the importance of the build-up to d-day that build-up mm. and how fortitude and and bodyguard are all running at the same time and the what if it presents is is a is a it's a plausible what if, what yeah. if. it's not it doesn't go beyond what we know lisbon was a place where spies from both sides are moving around um mm. it's not implausible they could have captured uh, an American officer who knew the plans. It was remade, by the way, in the 80s with Corbin Berenson from, was he in ER or one of those? Okay, yeah. One of those medical shows. And it, the remake was awful. Just, I mean, they took all that was good about it 
and just made it all. And, and there was a motorbike escape in the remake. Um, does the DVD cover on it say something like they tried to like or something that they tried to steal his mind. She tried to steal his body or something. Something like, like that. Something yeah, really Joanna cheesy. Akula is in it from yeah. Gorky Park and Escape from Sobibor. And, uh, and, and it reminds you, when you see the remake, it's that reminder of how good the original was, yeah. how great James yeah. Garner was. And despite the, the ending, they don't quite know, as you say, where to go with it. And then you mm. have What's-His-Name comes in, who was who was the guard oh, in Hogan's Hero. Gosh, um, I forget the guy's name now. Um, he plays a character called Ernst, I think. Yeah, but he? it's kind of an early version yeah. of the character he plays in Hogan's Fairy. Hero, almost. The, the kind of the friendly, fat German who... He's a anyway, border guard or something, isn't he? Border guard, yeah. but... Yeah. If you haven't seen it, folks, I'm I'm talking on the fourth show, taking it over myself. That's it is fine. definitely worth it's a brilliant thriller, anyway. It is. It's good, the it's a very is fantastic. Good. It brings up Holocaust comes into it as well. Yes. That that, yes. that comes into the story as well. We don't give too much away, but it is a really, really good thorough examination of the vulnerability of Overlord. And I think for that, that's why I wanted to include it in this, even though yep. it doesn't portray the landings on screen, it portrays that that importance of keeping it all secret. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right there. And it's I think it's something even now. Like it reminded me a little bit of um there's a Stephen King novel, I can't remember the exact the the, the numbers of this title, but it's the Stephen King book about um the guy that goes back in time and he tries to stop JFK being killed, and every time he goes back, something something goes against him. It was a James Franco thing, FX did a while ago. Right, the yeah. book's great. But it reminded me of that, and I was like, this would make if someone got the rights to it this would make a perfect series of this secret german unit trying to foil the plans of the of the allies but by doing it in this big elaborate setting there's surely something more you could do with this this plot yeah, no, these people yeah. and the allied occupation forces the allied occupational forces badge is just it's just oh so good like <laughs> i love it it's just great no, it's one of those movies good. where everything everything in it is just really well thought out um, but I moving... think it didn't do as well because it's black and white. I think that's it's that's oh, it's, yeah. it's, I don't. It's... Th- I think it sort of set it in this era though a little bit more. Maybe I was. I think so. I mean, I, I think it's cracking. But I think maybe not these days when people are looking to for a movie to watch for a family, oh, it's black and white, Dad. I don't want to watch I black saw, and white. Yeah, I mean, I get it. yeah. But I, it, 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 it's it's mate. It's definitely in my kind of top five or ten kind of thrillers about World War Two, mm. and it sometimes makes my kind of top ten of war films at all. Because if I've just watched it, it goes in there. Then I yeah, then it kind of fades away. away again. Because James Garner is just so good. And, He's everything and, a Hollywood sort of star should be at the time. You know, dashing. Yeah got that really cool accent he just he just sort of soaks up the role you you, you know you're watching james james garner but you can see he's actually acting he's not just being himself on screen he's doing a bloody good job i think it's one yeah, of the things he, that makes the movie work exactly he's not he's not the world's greatest actor but he's really good and he's on his he's on his a game oh, yeah. it's like it's like when charles bronson is doing a really good charles bronson film he's he reaches a level and then other films go yeah you're not you're not you're just phoning it in now charlie you just and, want to uh, check yeah. yeah and james garner is really i think he was keen on it i think he mm. i think i've read about the fact he was really interested in the subject and and i it, the bits with it's interesting when you talk about him and rod taylor because to me it's almost like a columbo episode it's almost like, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. There's this. They're obviously. I think they were friends. <laughs> you can you can get the yeah. idea they respected each other, and they're kind of trying to work around each other. Each one's trying to hoodwink the other. And you always and feel it, that when Rob Taylor's going to leave the room, you go and just one more. That's thing. one thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not like a Columbo episode, but no. it kind of is in that clearly the two actors were enjoying it. And, yeah, you can tell. Um, and and it it makes it a better film. But yeah, no, it, 
really, really good D-Day film, even though it doesn't show D-Day in any way at all. <laughs> no, but, but important nevertheless. Um, anyway, so moving on, and the next movie we've chosen to talk about, and maybe we won't talk about this one for too long, um, but Overlord, 1975. It's a rare British take um, on a D-Day movie. And it's interesting because it's a movie that sort of shows you its plot in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then it takes you on this ride to get to the end again. Um, it's about this. Rye's um, doing a lot of heavy hitting there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really trying to sort of um, uh, truncate the plot there because it's all over the place, this one. Um, it's about a, 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 this young chap who's been enlisted. It's about his training and about him coming of age. And then he hits Sword Beach and is killed. But it, it just, it's very, it punches you over the head with anti war imagery and isn't war awful and it's the innocence of youth trope that i sort of felt from it a lot but but in the end it sort of tries to do a little bit of a landing section and there's some nice um like there's some nice editing going on but i don't think it's it's not the best war movie but it's a good anti-war movie i think that's probably where i'm going to on that one no, definitely. I mean, it's it's got it's got echoes of the film If Malcolm McDowell, the school mm. one with the Brennan Gun, Lindsay Anderson. Now you say that. that. It's it got that kind of yeah. youth, youth, youth going awry, youth coming of age. Um, but I mean, it, it portrays D Day, but like in a blink and you miss it. Yeah. It's got, but I have to say, the cutting in between the original footage from the Imperial War Museum, because it had the backing of the Imperial War yes. Museum, didn't it? It was kind of co-released with them. Mm. Is really well done. The soundtrack is quite good, but it's, to me, it's just trying, I think it was, I'm quoting, I think it was um, Oliver Stone said, a good movie is not, a good move, war movie is not an anti-war or a, or a pro-war movie. It's just a war movie. And a good war movie is anti-war by default. If you do it well okay. enough, yeah, I think it was all of us, and I think, I think it's I trying think it too sense, yeah. hard to hit you over the head repeatedly mm. with a frying pan with "War is bad" yeah. written on it yeah. in crayon. Because when you see the trailer of that one, I think I think Talking Pictures had it on a while back, and I thought, oh wow, this is great! Like, guy gets conscripted, gets to you know hit uh, hit Sword Beach. I was like, is this going to be like from the city, from the plow? Is this going to be like that? But no, it's no, painfully it's obvious in the first ten minutes. It's not, and that's a shame. Um, but, you know, as we said, a rare representation of a just British um, D-Day movie. And I think at the time it would have brought Imperial War Museum footage to an audience that wouldn't have seen it for a long time. Yeah. We're in an era now where people are putting clips on all the time. We have the Imperial War Museum website and let's not get into the rewrites of their use of their footage <laughs> and everything, that debate. But the fact is, I think in mid-70s mid when it came out, your average cinema going goer had kind of forgotten that there had been this archive of, of footage taken. And I think it was a good way of yeah of, of getting that on, on screen. But yeah, the plot in, and the <laughs> film, and the, there's no one in it of any note. I think the year of its release says a lot more about why the movie probably is the way it is, because it's 1975, and that's the year that you know, Vietnam War finally ended when Saigon was taken by the North and you've got a lot of things going on in, in Asia as well. There's a lot going on socially, politically. I can understand why a film like this would be made, but setting it in the Second World War, oh, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. moving on, <laughs> moving on. So the next movie is, I mean, I know Woody likes this one. He's a big Sam Fuller fan. Um, and we recently did Miles Marauders. Go and check that one out if you haven't before. Um, but it's the big red one from 1980, and it's 10 minutes of Omaha Beach. <laughs> yeah, well, you said it there, and I, you know, I realise 
as people will, will listen to this, they go, oh, my God, Woody likes Big Red One, because you meant pe- some people really don't just they like really it. It's like they it. really hate it. And yeah. it's very Marmite, and I get that. And, and yes, the, the, the D-Day scene is awful in the sense of the, <laughs> the geography is crap, the obstacles are crap, there's one ship, it's not even a landing craft, <laughs> blah, 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 all that. I concede all those points. I concede mm. everything. And and yet, and I think this is why I like Big Red One, is that it is about a squad going to war. It is about the fact it is the wars are won by 10-man sections in the British Army yeah. and squads in the American Army. And that's what it is telling you at its heart. So I, I think you have to go into it prepared to just ignore all the inaccuracies and just try and get what Sam Fuller was trying to say. And what he was trying to say is about the camaraderie of young men together in combat. And he was in the big red one. It was personal to him. The character, each of the four horsemen, as he called them, are an aspect of his own personality. Because when I had Sam Fuller's biography on my channel, we, the biographer, we talked about this. And so each one, Mark Hamill's character, Robert Carradine's character, they all represent an, an aspect of Sam Fuller's own personality. And that's what it is. It's a, it's a study of men in war. And, and yeah. yeah, the authenticity is just, is is well there isn't any <laughs> well yeah it's it's for me i feel like the movie's just a massive shame because when we, when we did the merrill's episode you, you look into sam fuller's career and he really wants to make this movie it almost yep. feels like this is the yep. reason he got into filmmaking yep. you know he obviously- hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He films the footage at Frank Canal. He's affected by that. And then he films some Korean War movies in the 50s. He does Merrill's Marauders. He does Merrill's Marauders under the pretense that Jack Warner will allow him to do Big Red One with Warner Brothers with a big, nice budget. Doesn't come about. And then in the late 70s, he independently produces it. And it comes out the way it does. There's things missing. The editing wasn't fantastic, if I remember off the top of my head. At the time, it's re-released in Cannes, in, in the Cannes Film Festival, in 2004 as the reconstruction much better received people sort of know now what he was going for and i just think it's a shame because if we'd allow if the, the industry had allowed sam fuller the budget he would have made the movie he wanted to make and he's just trying to make the film he can on the budget he's managed to get yeah. scratched together yeah. and it's a huge shame and he's so i think he's also living in the past a little bit as well casting lee marvin it's not the 60s anymore you could have got someone else but then with the budget you have, who could you get? 
it, it's one of the it's one of the few Mark Hamill movies that are, isn't Star Wars off the top of your head. Pretty so it's much, really, yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting movie, and I always feel like it's just it's just grasping for something it can't re, it can't have. But the scenes it when it wants to hit hard, it can. But it's a shame that he just didn't have more money to get the Omaha Beach sequence that I think he would have wanted. Obviously, being on the beach himself. You're right, Lee Marvin's too old, but at the same time, I can't see anybody else doing that role. It need Sam yeah. Fuller needed to have someone who, like him, had been through the war. We all know Lee Marvin mm. had been there, done it, Saipan. That's very and fair. I, don't, I can't see Sam Fuller trusting a, a typical 1980s actor who, I mean, who else would have been, I don't know, um, I'm trying to think of someone who'd have been big enough. Harrison Ford, maybe. De Niro, maybe. De Niro. I can't see him trusting anybody like that. No. To take Maybe his not. idea that was clearly, as you said yourself, his personal ambition. And it had to be Lee Marvin. Actually, the fact he's too old doesn't bother me because no. I think I see beyond it. I see the fact there's a guy who knew how to lead men in combat and the way mm. he handles the the weapon and stuff. And if you ever dissect the big red one properly, I mean, you should probably try. I mean, we should try and get Mark Hamill on first. Well, or, should, yeah, but, that's a know, dream, isn't it? <laughs> I'd love to be involved in it because I yeah, just still think what it was trying to achieve is honorable and and you yeah. can see there and you have to just see sometimes you have to see beyond what the artist was given as you say then trying to see what he was trying to achieve and it's it was if you think of how was it hanover street came out a year earlier yeah it's just yeah. a throwaway b movie you know everyone's phoning it in christopher Plummer. big red one was trying to say something and for that alone yeah, it deserves our, our our credit and our and our reverence for what he yeah. was trying to. Say. There Agreed. was a guy who went through World War Two and wanted to make a statement about his his experiences and kind of did it. But as I say, as you said, without the budget, without the backing, and it was a compromise. And and it's obvious on screen when you watch it of the compromises made. It's obvious. <laughs> Not, he it's didn't want to be filming it all in Israel. I think that's no. where he filmed it. He didn't yeah. want to be just resorting to using one boat on Omaha Beach. And at essence, it works. But you got, yeah, I think you get the gist. And the more you learn about Sam Fuller, the more you read about his past, you, you can get yeah. why he made the movie the way he did. But I think that will leave that there for more another yeah. day yeah. because I'd love to dissect that one because I do think it's unfairly treated. And I do think you have to maybe go a little bit deeper before you watch it and watch the reconstruction because that's how that movie was meant to be seen not the original theatrical version which maybe a lot of people hang their displeasure at perhaps hello i'm al murray and you're listening to fighting on film the world's number one war film podcast so we come to the elephant in the room and for me it's a generational thing when i think of d-day on film i always think first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan 1998 yeah you know I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned on the show before dear listeners but for me it was the war film that got me in not only got me into history um military history but it got me into the war movie genre because it was yeah. such a huge film at the time for me as I was I think like six or seven when it came out oh now you make me feel old now I know <laughs> I wrote a whole piece about this on on the on the fighting on film website but it was this huge thing. I heard people talking about it on the radio. Older kids are talking about it at school, being like, have you seen this war movie? Or oh, my dad snuck me in. I remember one kid telling us. And then my mum bought it for my dad on video and they watched it. I could hear them watching it upstairs one day. Um, and I was, um, I was obviously, I didn't come down because I didn't want to get in trouble or anything like that. And I came into my mum in the kitchen one day 
And I said, look, mum, I need to see this movie you bought, dad. I really, can I please watch it? I think I was like, I'll be good. I'll do my homework. I'll eat my greens. And then one afternoon she went, do you want to watch that movie together? And we all watched it together. And I was just silent the whole way through. A movie hadn't affected me like that for years. And for years after, actually, uh, thinking about it. But it's something, I'll talk about the movie as a whole, really. It's not fair. We're trying to just talk about the the beach landing scenes and and the norm. Well, it is Normandy on film, the whole film, I guess. The study of war films will now divide into everything that was before Savi and Pratt Ryan and everything that followed. It it's mm. like psycho in horror films or the Sergio Leone Westerns or 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 Quentin Tarantino's take on pulp fiction on the gangster film. There's there's nothing will be the same or nothing was the same after Savi and Pratt Ryan. The use of washed out colour, the 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 sound effects, all that, the, mm. the fact you didn't know anything about the characters before you were following them on screen in action, all of that was new with that film. And now when you watch it, it seems old school. It seems, oh, we've all seen that done before, but it was the first one that did all that yeah. stuff. Mm. So that's my stuff that I say is good about it. For the for me, every time I watch it now, and I don't watch it very often, it is a case of diminishing returns. Each time I put it on, I'm afraid I like it a little bit less and I don't quite know why it's just, I think, I mean that you're right that we're separating the first 20 minutes and the rest of it. The first time it still has the same power. It probably always did. Although as I just referenced the use of color, the use of sound effects is less startling now because you've seen it so many times Mm. since, but the rest of the movie is just pants. I mean, it really is just, (laughs) I mean, it's not pants. There's, there's a lot of worse movies, but I just watch it and I go, I just see so many things I would do differently about it. And so many things I think that's a pity and, and crowbarring this in and crowbarring everything they can into the plot. Mm. You know, we need, we need SS now. We need Mustangs. We need, we need to have a radar station. We need to have a, a, a turncoat German who we isn't with. We need to have, it's just, it, I think it tries too hard, but. Okay. No, I, can, really I get critical. that. The first 20 minutes, I was watching it again today. Um, and I watch it quite a lot, actually. So I think, you know, I just do. So I think it's a great piece of cinema, but there's always things I don't, I forget to notice. So, there's a blink and you'll miss it. There's a Sherman tank in the background, even though um, Tom Hanks has just told that beach um, demolition guy that there's no tanks. So I'm thinking, well, hang on. He's only thinking in terms of his own sector. So right. he's not aware of tank. Perhaps he's not aware of more tanks down the line there. There's guys with breaching charges coming in. There's different. You know, there's all different people with different kit they're carrying. It's all the minutiae that I really love about that scene. That not Unless you've got the budget, I don't think you can do half the time. And there's something that I do really enjoy about the movie is every single dollar that they put into that movie, you can see in that sequence. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's something I love about it. And obviously you've got Dal Dye in there. He's a great historical advisor. You know, I think he, there's some, not many films I've watched of his that I think are dodgy in terms of kit and equipment. Tom Hanks is this huge star even now. Um, but, you know, he was massive at the time. I mean, I know it caused a lot of controversy at the time for, for people saying that they, you know, they wrote the British out of it. They don't even mention the Canadians at all. Um, but it's an American movie for an American audience. I think you can forgive it for that. Whether we should forgive it for that now is different. I, not too... What do you feel about that? I feel contentious you're absolutely one. right, except there's that line they have where they have a go at Montgomery. And, and that, yeah. to me, if it wasn't for that line, I'd defend it completely to, about... To the it's not about the Brits. It's the fact that a lost paratrooper who doesn't know where his own 
unit headquarters is, is talking to a lost ranger who doesn't know where much of his unit are, <laughs> and they are able to be able to give a an accurate understanding of what is happening 50 miles to the it's east weird, in the British sector it? about yeah. corn. It's like you don't know where your own bloody, you know, next ration box is coming yeah, from. True. You're not in a position to comment about the British. The British who are near corn don't know what's going on with corn. So it seems to me at some point, I had, I, had, I had this conversation with Dale Dye myself in a pub in Bayer. I said, you know, why did you put that line? He said, well, I was just a military advisor. I didn't put that line in. But I said, that got through meeting it after meeting through, yeah. where someone didn't say, isn't it's this true. just a little bit having it go to go at the British for, for no reason? <laughs> and every one of those decisions in the shooting, in the writing, in the shooting, in the editing, it made it past all those ones and they still left in there that have a go they did the biggest as well they didn't even edit it out of the european version either which they could have easily done like it's so it's a bizarre thing i mean we know montgomery's a dick in many ways (laughs) but the fact is whether or not there's a problem with the british taking court is a is a separate subject to me it just felt a let's have a go at the brits because we can have a go at the brits and 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 that's one of the things that really riles me about it um Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're right about the fact they obviously let all the people who were bringing in vehicles, kit, guns to just bring their favourite stuff yeah. out. Because you can't imagine Spielberg, excuse me, lads, that's the Mark II SDK. They're letting people who know that crap come in and do yeah. it, you know, the Captain Crowd, all mean, that kind of say, stuff. There. Saying that now, like you're saying that, and then there's a bit near the end, I only re-noticed this a couple, oh, I used to watch it a few months ago again. And there's the bit at the end where they're fighting in the town. Um, Tom Hanks has got like a 30 round um, Thompson magazine pouch on like a sling. And that's like a really, pe- not rare piece of equipment, but it's just weird to see him use it. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And like for the webbing people out there, that's really cool yeah. stuff to him to be wearing. And the D-Day, the jerkin thing he's wearing, the assault vest is really cool. It's just like, it's, it's, oh, there's it's lots like of stuff in porn, it. Isn't they didn't it? Yeah. need to put in no. it. They put no. in it. And we yeah. went, oh, that's really good. There's lots of stuff. It scores. Re- I mean, compared to Big Red One, it, it there's it's light and day between yeah. um, authenticity. It's what Fuller probably wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. yeah, yeah. And I, probably I, Fuller knew that stuff himself. He probably could yeah. say yeah. that's the wrong mark uh, bayonet on that there. But well, that would have been great, I wouldn't just, it? Watching I that just, with Fuller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been something. I mean, what? Yeah, but I bet Fuller would have just been angry all through it, going, "That's what I." I wanted to do that movie, you bastards. Bringing up the the, you know, the 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 descendants of Jack Warner going, this is what he should have given me the See, money this is for. exactly what I tried to do 30 <laughs> yeah. years ago, you, you yeah. wankers. I didn't want the Cadillac for doing Meryl's Marauders. I wanted budget for this. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> but, but at anyway. the same time, I think, you know, I, we can't we can't discount how important that movie was. And without mm. that, there's no Band of Brothers. Without that, there's no Pacific. Without that, there's no... Um, Masters of the Air. Without that, there isn't all this renewed interest. Documentary channels, history channel. Probably I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. The tour yeah. guide industry would not be where it is now. But that's something again. You know, as a as a as a normally resident, it is not Spielberg's fault at all that every person who goes to Omaha Beach who has seen Seven Pirate Ryan subconsciously or or deliberately kind of runs that scene through in their head mm. when they're standing there. And then we have as tour guides to explain, yeah, well, the reason he didn't put the house in was because of this and the reason they changed the angle of the bluffs. And yeah, I know that they chose the big bunkers. I guess it looks better on screen. Spielberg wasn't in, wasn't used making that movie for it to be the standard of how Omaha Beach is perceived. Yeah. That's not his fault. 
but that's what's happened. And I, if, if ever I got a chance to meet Spielberg, I go, do you realise how much you have what influenced you yeah. daily? And on a daily, today, today, Robbie, I'm sure there were guides on that beach standing there today going, ah, uh, no, the movie did that because of. And yeah. that has happened every day, multiple times a day for the last 25 years. And that's I'd be that, I'd be that really annoying person who just stands there going, so where did Captain Miller and the boys land? Yeah. <laughs> where yeah, did yeah, they exactly. go? So, I'd be that annoying person. So that was a little section there of uh, Normandy movies and their depiction of Normandy on film. And I think after this little jingle, I've got some questions from our patrons for Woody. Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So Woody, uh, when we have a guest on, we love to ask some questions and we get our patrons to uh, send us some. If you want to join the supporting cast, you can do. Please check us out on Patreon. Um, and the first question, it's not actually a question, the first question. It's a, it's a bit of a thank you to you, Woody. It's from KD Campbell. And he says, no question, but just want to commend him for his work. His dedication to bringing in so many voices and perspectives of the conflict is really incredible and important. Oh, thank you very much. That's very nice. Yeah, thought I'd uh, leave that in there. Thanks for that, Ken. It was lovely of you. Uh, and Brian Williams asks, what are the most common misconceptions from cinematic depictions of D-Day and Normandy? Well, I guess like with books, it's all about the first day. I mean, actually, we, what we didn't say is how relatively rarely D-Day is actually depicted on screen. The only movie we didn't True. really cover was D-Day, the 6th of June, which is just not even worth no. a mention other than the fact it's awful. And it, well, it's got Richard Todd in it, but yeah. other than that, yeah. Well, I've been a bit mean by calling the episode Normandy on film because most of the movies, apart from SBR and Screaming Eagles, sort of, um, only like, they only depict the... The, the landings they don't go into the like the actual campaign a bit a bit mean well that's my point that's my yeah. point the movies just reinforce and that's my answer to the question movies reinforce the idea that as long as the allies have gained the beach on d-day that's it we'll be in germany next week hitler might as well be dead now it's all over by yeah. the you know and i think that's that's the shame is that band of brothers because of uh, covering the airborne, they leave the Normandy campaign relatively early. And once Carenton has been taken, that's it. They're kind of pretty much going gearing up to go back home now, which is failing mm. to talk about the taking of Cherbourg and Saint-Lô and Caen. So that's my, my, I suppose, my response is, yeah, it doesn't un- explain that Normandy is a 76-, 77-day campaign. That it has yeah. lots more fighting. Like there's the fact there's no movie about the British trying to take Corn or... There's no yeah, Bocage yeah. film that's been made exactly. with any mill yeah. merit yet. It's a shame. So the next question is, Andrew CG asks, um, do inaccurate depictions of the events on film or the airbrushing of the Anglo-Canadian contribution irritate you? And he puts uh, in a parenthesis, I'm thinking of the way this then becomes people's understanding of history, which you then need to correct when guiding them. Well, yeah, but I, I don't think movies are any more to blame. I don't think we can put all the blame on 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 hollywood it's it's video games as well it's people yeah, who write fair. books it's and it's part of that isn't it? you're getting to the whole discussion about the availability and, and use of public domain photos in that if you're writing a book about the brits in normandy or the americans in normandy it's much easier to write one about the americans because pretty much all the photos are available online high resolution public domain don't owe anybody a penny to use them 
British, it gets into Imperial War Museum, the same with documentary yeah. making, the same with filmmaking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, I think p- putting it all the blame on the movies is is really unfair towards movie makers. It's everybody it's is part of the tour guides. Yeah. Yeah, the tour guides, we're guilty of pushing the American sector because that's what people want. But you get into this chicken and egg thing where people come over, even if they're from Britain, oh, our friends saw, saw Omaha Beach with you two years ago. We want to see Omaha Beach with you. So they do the same tour their friends did. And you can't ever kind of get people back off out of their lane to go and see the British sector. So it's there's many reasons why the Anglo-Canadian sector is is overlooked. And movies are one of the thing reasons, but they are by no means the only reason. Mm. Yeah, there is a there was the Juno Beach film that came out. There's more of a documentary. Storming Juno. Storming yeah, Juno. Yeah, I haven't seen that myself. It's, it's all right. It's good. It's it's just it's lacking in budget and um but yeah, it's it's actually it's it's be, it's better than the big red one in terms of its portrayal of D Day. <laughs> fair um, enough. So that's <laughs> just bashing a low, the big red one. So low bar to be fair, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> anyway, so Ad Bond he, he asks, um, are there any Normandy battles that you would like to see covered in a movie? Um, well, yeah. Well, you said one yourself, <laughs> Hill One One Two, and the taking of Caen, the the yeah. moving at the high ground there. I think would be good. Um, I think generally genuinely would like to see a movie following a British unit all the way through. So be it Durham Light Infantry or Green Howards or Sherwood Rangers or whoever it would be, but following someone ideally from North Africa, Sicily, Italy, all the way through to Germany um, yeah. in a in a kind of Band of Brothers kind of way. That was what I'd like to see. Um, I think mm. I'd like to see a, a good modern film talking about the the effect of the war on the French, because I live here and I think the, the, the number of civilian losses is kind of forgotten about and how difficult it is, the occupation. There are lots of great French movies made about the occupation and the complications and the and the, 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 the difficulties of day-to-day living and the fact that Paris you know, is, is nearly starved out by mid-August, but not in English language. So something about no. that I think I'd like to see as well. But yeah, that would be um, good. yes is the answer, mm. Edie. Yes, I would yeah. definitely like to see lots of films and I've got lots of ideas. <laughs> I mean, I, I always have just to add my quick 10 pence in. I always wonder why they haven't made Warriors for the Working Day because I think that would be a fantastic film. Um, yep. You know, following that tank unit, that'd be brilliant. Um, I thought maybe like James Holland's recent book would have maybe made that come around, but you never know. Well, I think they want it to happen. I think that's what James and others want is that that will become a movie and that would be fantastic. Yeah, it'd be but great, wouldn't let, it? Let's, let's see. Let's wait on that one, yeah. Um, and Matthew Moss, uh, our, our very own host, who's not with us, he asked a question and he says, of all the incredible individual personal stories from D-Day, which do you think should be adapted into a film? Uh, for specifically from D-Day, I suppose Stan Hollis, I think, would be good on Gold Beach. I think maybe um, Brigadier James Hill and uh, the Parachute Brigade up in the 6th Airborne Sector, mm. something like that would be quite worthy. Um, um, yeah, beyond that, I think maybe something about the command issues, getting the fleet across Stephen Fisher would like that, but something about the marshalling at Ramsey, for example, just getting the fleet across or someone lower yeah. in that, just the court mine sweeping would be a good, you know, someone like that. Someone from that. There's lots of individual heroes who I think would be worth depicting on screen, but Stan Hollis kind of first comes to mind as, as, as a character that I think an audience would fall in love with him because he's got yeah. that, 
not anti-hero, but he's kind of a bit clumsy and a bit, you know, odd, odd in his mannerisms and a mm. very distinct person that I think an audience could could really relate to. Yeah. M- Mackenzie Crook would have played a good Yeah. Yeah. No, you've thought about this, so. haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mackenzie Crook as Stan Hollis. Be good, yeah. I can see it. Yeah. But it gave, gave Wurz or Gummidge a good crack. I mean, he'd probably yeah. do all right. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that we say, like, you know, because we're, we're I mean, we obviously are we are British. Um, uh, Woody lives in France, but it's interesting that we're saying we want more British depictions of this campaign on film. It's 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 like we're crying out for them as we as we talk. Um, and, but the last question is from Tom McCall. Uh, he says, "My question is about your work. Where is the most special place on the Normandy battlefield for you, and where do you wish more people would visit or have an interest in visiting?" Oh well, it's always changing, really. I mean. <laughs> depending on what I've just been looking at and, and, and following, really. But I think, without saying a specific place, it's that area, like seven days in the campaign, the various battles for the beachhead, you know, Tilly Sursells, Point 103, the Breville up in the British Shipped Airborne Sector, the Roray Ridge inland from Gold Beach, um, the, the Americans pushing inland towards, um, you know, beyond Carenton. So that that pivotal time when the Allies have not quite got the beachhead they intended, the Germans are now thrusting up all their armour, it's all beginning to arrive now, and it's still, it's not in the balance in terms of our understanding of history now, looking back on it, but it felt in the balance at the time, and there were definitely, there was a domino effect, I think, that had the Germans thwarted the British and Americans and Canadians a few more times around June 11th, 12th, 13th, it could have easily changed the dynamic, not the end result. So that area there so always intrigues me. But a single place, I mean, Combon Plain, where my great uncle was wounded, uh, or fought and was wounded, kind of interests me, but it depends what I've been reading about. It, it, it changes all the time. There's no one, yeah. Falaise Gap, I suppose, is always draws me. Um, mm-hmm. I just love Moissy Ford. Um, I love the the juxtaposition. I can't say that. I love the, uh, juxtaposition. the contradiction. I'm not even trying to say it. I love the contradiction <laughs> between yeah. the beauty of it being a little picnic site and the fact that there's a German army desperately trying to flee out of there. Mm. And, yeah. and that contradiction is really cool. Really but, striking, isn't it? And that's yeah. the thing about Normandy as well. When I visited, it was about 10 years ago now, but... Um, it's so striking how beautiful the countryside is, and it's really hard to imagine a very hard-fought battle taking part anywhere there. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. so picturesque. It's 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 bizarre. I mean, I guess that's time, isn't it, as well? But sometimes it's really hard to just think, oh my gosh, you know, this, this poor this poor German army trying to retreat, and they've got typhoons and Spitfires and whatever coming at them. It's just it just boggles the mind it does make you wonder whether fritz or carl while they're retreating whatever it is amazing fritz how beautiful that church is there with the, with the, with <laughs> yeah, the cornfield yeah, yeah. in the background it is really is quite lovely isn't it whether they ever <laughs> noticed that i don't know but yeah. you know yeah. when it is it's it, it is breathtaking there's time as mag and i are driving out you're just realizing my god it is we're so lucky to live here yeah. it's such a beautiful place and you go from the wheat fields to the bocage to lovely little villages with stone walls and but yeah i think um it would have been very different in 44 oh yeah massively massively and i think that brings us to the end of our chat with you i mean it's been fantastic talking to you again you know we love having you on the show i mean i know there's a lot of movies that you know we know we want to get you back on for to do a bit more of a deep analysis on when matt's back 
Um, and yeah, thanks again to the to the patrons for asking the questions. Um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed this episode. Thanks for joining me, Woody. No, thank you. I've enjoyed it. I mean, who, what what's not to like? Talking about Normandy, talking about films, talking about films I like and don't like. It's it's great. And it's good, isn't you know, it? And, it, and it, it's surprising, as I said, it, it's surprising how few times it has come up. You know, mm. I mean, it's yeah. You think of how many Prisoner of War camp movies, how many just generic desert movies, jungle movies. Normandy, I think, just it it, it feels like it has been covered a lot but actually it hasn't yeah because when we were making the list i mean yeah you run out i mean we, when me and matt were talking about dunkirk films the other day we were trying to make a list of them there's only four we could think of i'm sure there's more but you always get these things like hang on why aren't there more movies about this campaign why aren't there more movies about that campaign and then we were looking up korean war movies and the amount of just like 10 a penny awful budgeted korean battle films there are it's just so bizarre it's like why are there loads of them and then the one, they're not a lot of this. It's just, oh, the industry's weird. I think that's what it is. I think it was just easier back then to do the kind of generic ones. Let's just set yeah. this one in a jungle, a desert, a, you know, a, a field. And um, <laughs> when you get to Normandy, I suppose the level of expectation is, I mean, you know, you, I guess a lot, Normandy, right? yeah. you're talking about, you know, one and a half million allied soldiers came through Normandy. So there's a lot of people who've been watching movies in the 50s, 60s. Now it wasn't like that. It didn't look like that. Whereas, the desert movies were easy to film in Hollywood, weren't they? Or, or you know, or Wales, like nine, was nine men, in like Wales? nine men, yeah, the, the beach. So, so yeah. you know, people, you know, a bit of a bit of sandy open ground is a bit of sandy open ground, isn't it? Whereas Normandy, you've got that. I was there. I mean, it wasn't like that. So you've got to have a bit of budget, haven't you? You've got yeah. a bit of budget to do Normandy. There's, there's the message out there. If you're budding, that's Africa, true. <laughs> Yes. It's probably better to start North Africa and then move to Normandy with your second or third epic. Or set it in the Bocars, you just film it in a woods. No one yeah, will know. It it's, it's a lot easier. Think beyond the beach. I always, you know, that's probably a good thing to end on. But yeah, anyway, Woody, thanks for joining us. And Thank next you. week, yeah, oh, my pleasure. And next week, I think Matt will be back. Um, as always, you can follow the podcast on the various social medias and uh, check out fightingonfilm.com where you can find the entire back catalogue of the podcast. And who knows, maybe you'll have a foth binge and catch up from the very first episode until now so until next time bye bye everybody selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.